stand and read God's word together. We're reading from Proverbs 2, verse 1 to 7. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, praise. Thank you, Danny. Uh, hey, everybody. My name is Patrick. I'm one of the pastors here at Echo Church. I just want to give a quick word about um, today's preacher, our very own member here at Echo Church, Jackson Tran, sitting right up here in front. And so good to see all the family and friends he's brought along. Welcome, special welcome to you guys. It's good to have you. Uh, most of you already know Jackson. He's a wonderful, wonderful man of God. He's a, a dear friend of mine. And uh, as you will soon learn, Jackson is a gifted and faithful preacher, teacher of God's word. And many of you have already come to know him as a wise and loving discipler. Um, and when he's not doing these things, he works for the I guess, biblical Bible software company Logos and um, is finishing up this very fall, his Masters of Divinity at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Yeah. So, and on top of all these things, and most importantly, I think he is the husband of Lauren and the father of Evelyn and Faith. Um, and so Jackson, it's just a, a great joy and honor to have you preach for us today and continue our series in Proverbs. Come on up. But it doesn't seem that easy. <laughs> How do you get this thing up? Awesome. Thank you. All right. Good morning, Echo Church. It's a pleasure to be up here and continuing our series in Proverbs. And uh, last week, Pastor JD was preaching about Proverbs 1, especially 1 through 7. And he was asking the question, what is wisdom? And today we'll continue that and we'll get more into what desire is. And so each week here for seven weeks, we'll be talking about a different topic in the book of Proverbs. Before I begin, let, let me pray for us and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that uh, you've been able to uh, bless this church as we faithfully preach and proclaim your word. I pray that as I do so, that you will help us to see your word clearly, to understand it clearly, and be able to apply it in our lives. Help me to have the words to speak faithfully and to be able to uh, help us look through Proverbs 2 and what it means for us to desire after your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, this is going to sound super random, but I love watermelon. Okay. If anybody knows me and have seen me eat watermelon, I love watermelon. All right. And so my mom used to work at a, uh, at a grocery store, a supermarket. And one day I remember I was, I don't know, seven or something like that. And I told my dad, I want 
watermelon. Can mom bring home watermelon? And so he's like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll give her a call. So calls her and I can hear their phone conversation. And, uh, and he tells her, Hey, can you bring watermelon home? She's like, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm like, yes, I get watermelon tonight. Right. So I'm waiting not for my mom to come home that night, but for watermelon and, uh, and she gets home and I'm looking don't see watermelon anywhere. So I go up to her. I'm like, mom, where, where's, where's the watermelon? She's like, Oh, I forgot. Now this was 20 something years ago. I still remember how I felt. Okay. I was just like, but I wanted watermelon. Right. And uh, it, it's interesting because in the Hebrew understanding of the word desire, it's a whole body, whole person response. It is your soul and heart wanting something. I wanted watermelon. Okay. It was sinful because I was very upset at not having watermelon. It reminds me of uh, my oldest daughter, Evelyn. So she she eats and she'll eat like a tiny morsel of food for dinner. And she goes, I'm full. I'm like, okay. So then I bring out dessert and she goes, I'm hungry. Right. She all of a sudden her eyes are fixed on that. She wants it. Her root, her stomach makes room for sugar. I don't even know how it works. But anyways, so on a more serious note, Proverbs 2 never actually uses the word desire. Okay. But it's heavily assumed in the text. Desire in the Bible is the orientation of our being. It's our heart, our soul. And so that's why it's so important. What we desire is important because it orients our entire person towards a specific thing, the thing that we desire. So my main point today is this. What you desire determines where you will end up. What you desire determines where you will end up. Our task in this series, as JD pointed out last week, is to ask and answer two questions each sermon. How is wisdom displayed, particularly in this, and how does this point to the one who is wisdom? So I hope to answer both those questions today. Let me start first with my first point, which is this. First, desire God's word. If you'll look with me at Proverbs 2.1. Just to resituate us for a second, uh, the, the writer of this chapter is King Solomon, okay? And so King Solomon is the son of King David, who's renowned, who's known specifically in his time for great wisdom. And he's writing to his son in the book of Proverbs specifically so that his son can gain knowledge and how to live and understand wisdom. And so we're going to take a look at that, but I just want to remind us of something that JD pointed out. He, he talked a lot about this last week, which is that Proverbs is wisdom literature. And in wisdom literature, a lot of the times what sounds like a promise is not actually a promise, but a general truth. It's something that if we do it, will generally bring about the result that we desire. So if you look again in verse one, what Solomon says is, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, right? Solomon is not giving a command. What he's actually doing is setting up a condition and a result, right? So he says, if what follows if is then you do something, then something will happen. It's a condition and response. But even though technically it's not a command, the word commandments is used. So it's, it's this specific form of speech from a superior to a subordinate. That's what a commandment is. In fact, Proverbs 7.1 uses almost the exact same vocabulary, but in the form of a commandment. Right, so Proverbs 7.1 says this, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments. Keep my commandments and live. There's a bit of a reversal of these two aspects in 
Proverbs 7, 1, right? There is the command and then an implied result and live. So we see in Proverbs 2 that there is an emphasis on this conditional aspect rather than a command. If we do something, then something will happen. Knowing that structure is important for our purposes today because Solomon isn't just giving what's called a naked command. He's not just saying, do these things. He's actually giving us a reason to do these things. So we want to dig into the text and figure out what are the reasons? Why do we need to listen to his commands? I'm also going to do this. I'm also going to argue that the words Solomon the words of Solomon, right? He's saying, listen to my words. It's not just his words. It's actually God's word. And so what, what we're going to do here is I'm going to explain why I believe Solomon is actually saying, if you receive and treasure up the very words of God, the superior to the subordinate, then these things will happen. But where do I get that? I don't want us to just listen to me saying that, right? I, I want us to be what J.D always says, as Berean Christians. So what I'm going to ask us to do is open our Bibles and look with me for a bit. It's going to take you kind of following with my logic here as we look at Proverbs 2. And so look there, and we're going to talk through why I believe this. Okay, you ready? Verse 1 says, my words, right? So the words of King Solomon, because he's the writer. Verses 2 through 3 says that these words are wisdom and understanding. So just for a second there, that's Hebrew poetry. He's, he's using different words, synonyms, to describe the same or similar ideas. My words and my commandments from verse 1 are replaced with, in verse 2, wisdom and understanding, and then in verse 3, insight, and again, understanding. You guys see that, right? Verse 5 which we'll dig into later this morning, is the logical result from that condition, from verse 1. If, it says that you will understand the fear of the Lord and know God if you listen to the words of who? Of Solomon, right? Solomon says, listen to my words, then you will have fine knowledge of God. All right, now verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Do you guys get that? The word for is a bit of a weird word in the English language. We don't really use it that often. I'm going to replace it with because. He says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God because the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Solomon is saying, listen to my words, receive my words, and you'll understand, you'll have the fear of the Lord and knowledge of God. And that is because it comes from the mouth of God. It's from God that gives it to us. Solomon is speaking. His son gets it, understands it. And it's from the very mouth of God that he gains this knowledge. We know from 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, that all scripture is God breathed. The word there expired from God coming out of the mouth of God breathed of God. Second Peter 1, 7, or sorry, Second Peter 1, 21 says that, the, that God the Holy Spirit is the one who guides the writers of scripture to write his very words. So again, my, arguments, my argument here is that Solomon is saying not simply to follow or listen to his word. It's actually the entire counsel of God in the Bible that we are to follow, to treasure up. So let's look back in our Bibles again at verse 1. It says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Solomon first used the word receive, and then he says to treasure up. Stored up, that's the same word, your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. 
There's a storing up for a specific purpose. So in in verse one here, we have a posture of receiving this word that, that we have been given and treasuring it up. And then he moves on to a more active role. In verse two, he says, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Right? So Solomon is now saying we need to be in a specific condition, one that's open to listening, one that's attentive, alert. Solomon is making sure we're in that specific condition. And then he moves on to something very active in verses three and four. He says, yes, if you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasures. This verse always reminds me of the pirate stories, right? Where they have this map and there's a treasure island. This map's supposed to get them there. And they're going to fight through storms and trials, you know, difficult weather, betrayal, so that they can get to that island and get to that treasure. Why do they do that? They do that because they desire it, right? They desire it. It's their it's precious to them. It's their aim. It's the orientation of why they're living at that moment. Do we desire God's word like that? Do we desire it so much that stories can fill pages about our desire for his word, our seeking of the word of God? Take some time and think with me for a moment about some questions. What are we doing that is hindering our ability to receive God's word, both in our Bible reading as well as in coming and listening to good biblical sermons on Sunday mornings? Are you creating an environment that ensures reading your Bible is a priority? Are you getting enough rest to come to church on Sunday morning awake, alert, attentive, so that you can actually hear the preached word of God? Have you prepared your heart so it's humble and eager to soak up those words? Or instead, are we staying up late watching TV or hanging out with friends? Maybe we're surfing the internet. And we're exhausted when we wake up on Sunday morning and we're unable to pay attention at church or when we roll out of bed and we don't even know if we want to open up our Bibles because we're so tired that morning. Can you describe your reading of God's word like seeking and searching for treasure? All right. So I've talked about what the text is telling us to do, the if. What's the result of that? And I'm going to get into that first With my second point, God's word will give us true knowledge of him. God's word will give us true knowledge of him. So verses one through four that we just walked through is the underlying process. It's how we create the cognitive, emotional aspects of of desiring and seeking after who God is and God in his word. Verse five begins the result of that. Remember, it's structured as a condition and a response. If you search after God's word, if you desire it, what will happen? Verse five, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. Hmm. Let's pause for a second. Remember the, the, the flow there is that we are seeking after wisdom, understanding, and insight. And then Solomon tells us the result of that is that we will know the fear of the Lord. Last week, J.D. spoke a bit about Proverbs 1.7, and he said, that, or when Solomon said this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And Pastor J.D. said this last week. He said, we will fail to do what God says 
because we don't hear with fear. This fear, he said, is to understand the wrath of God. And in knowing that, to seek to avoid it at all costs. So let me ask us, church, how do we come to know God's wrath? How do we come to know that we are under the wrath of God, that sin is present? It's through his word. It's through reading, searching, and understanding it. It is through the knowledge of the Bible. And spoiler for alert for us, when we read this, we're going to find out that we're sinners. Romans 7, 7 through 8a, and then 13b, it's a bit complicated here. I'm going to pare this passage down for us. It says this, yet if it had, this is Paul speaking, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have known, not have known that it is what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. It was sin, producing death in me, though through what is good, in order that sin might be shown as sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond all measure. Now, Paul's argument in Romans is super complicated, and my goal up here is not to explain Romans 7, right? That would be its fair share of sermons on its own. But I want us to see something with that passage. Paul says the law, right? The law being the words of God to Israel, the Old Testament, the law gave him knowledge of his sin. And that knowledge of sin caused death. Why is that? Because God's wrath is against sin. God's wrath is against sin. He is going to punish sin wherever he finds it. But it's the very same Bible that shows us sin, shows us that God is abounding in love, that it is a merciful, gracious God. And why do I say that? The amazing part here, church, is that Solomon is writing before Jesus, right before Jesus came. And the greater revelation that, that Solomon didn't even know about came and walked on earth. And through that, we get to know the fullest display possible of what God is like. We see this in John 14, 8. Philip, one of the apostles, one of the disciples of Jesus, tells Jesus, asks Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Right, so Philip, and what's Jesus' response to it? In John 14, beginning in verse 9, Jesus says this, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show the Father? Do you not know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. When we desire God's word, we will come to understand the fear of the Lord. And we'll also come to understand the love of the Father through his Son on the cross. The fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge. To begin to have knowledge, to begin to even have understanding, we need to have the fear of the Lord. And we need to do that by first and foremost, desiring the word of God. We need to have that before we even begin to have knowledge and wisdom. 
But once we do that, we know who God is. And why is that? Because Jesus is wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. When you fear God, you're going to run to Jesus who is wisdom. And we get this from 1 Corinthians 1.24. Paul says, Christ is the, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Colossians 2.3, in Christ, whom are in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Remember in verse one, where Solomon says to treasure up wisdom and knowledge. Paul says, Christ in Christ, all the wisdom and knowledge reside. All of it is in Jesus. The fullest revelation of God is Jesus Christ. And when we seek and pursue and bathe in the revelation of Jesus, that's in the Bible, we will know God in the fullest way possible, this side of eternity. And in that, we find Jesus himself. Desiring God's word gives us true knowledge of God. That's one result. But that result leads to something else. And that's my third point. True knowledge of God guards you in the way of the righteous. True knowledge of God guards you in the way of the righteous. Let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 states, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. And then verse eight explains that. How does he do this? By guarding the paths of justice, watching, the way, watching over the ways of his saints. So let's take a step back for a moment and let's, let's see how these things connect. We have knowledge of God, knowing God, we have understanding and wisdom, and then we have God guarding the path of justice. I believe God is saying, or Solomon is saying that God is guarding us through knowledge and wisdom and that we, that we gain from reading his word, from knowing him, right? Look, look again at verse seven. He says, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Now, the most literal way to translate that verse is not, he is a shield. It's literally translated, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright, comma, a shield to those who walk in integrity. Now, it could be referencing God as the shield, but I think the better way to understand it is that sound wisdom is the shield. And why do I say that? Because if you jump down to verse 11 with me, it says, discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Right, And so I, that's saying what I think verse 7 says, which is this, sound judgment is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. So you see that God is watching over us through the means of understanding and knowledge and wisdom. And this knowledge isn't just some head knowledge, right? That, that, that wouldn't actually guard us. It's not some intellectual assent. We don't just read God's word and say, oh, we know it really well it actually changes who we are. It needs to affect our hearts. So look in your Bible again at verse nine this time, right? This corresponds with what JD was talking about last week in James, where we don't just listen and hear God's word. Wisdom includes practicing the very things that we learn because it changes who we are. And verse nine says this, then you will understand righteousness, justice and equity, every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your souls. 
This knowledge affects our lives. It's God's guarding us in the path of justice to watch over us. It infiltrates our heart. It changes who we are to the very core of our being, right? We rejoice in the knowledge of truth. We're happy about it when we hear it. Friends, don't miss the point here that this then is the result of verses one through four, right? So if you desire after God's word, then you will be changed by the truth that's contained within its pages, When you understand who God is, when you see Jesus face to face, you'll be changed by him. You will love what he loves, justice, righteousness, equity. You'll practice it. You'll make sure that it's practiced. Okay, so we understand that seeking after God's word will keep us on the right path. What's the alternative to this? What what, what happens if we don't seek after his word? Solomon gives us two examples, and it's plenty for us to be scared of. Evil men and a forbidden woman. These are metaphors, ways in which we're prone to be tempted. And so if you look with me, starting in verse 12, Solomon says that the wisdom is delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. I just want us to notice for a second that these men have perverted speech, right? There's God's holy wisdom encapsulated in his word. And then there are these evil men who have perverted speech that leads people astray. Verse 16 through 19 is very similar in structure. The the forbidden woman is very similar in structure to 12 through 15. The same word and her smooth words. Much like these evil men who have perverse speech, the woman herself has these words that compete with God's holy word. So where do these smooth words and perverted speech reside? Where do we find them today? I think one avenue are the lies in the media, on YouTube, on TV, in the mouth of unbelievers. There are lies, whispers, and sometimes boldly proclaimed that aims at making us question true righteousness, true goodness, true knowledge. So let me ask us, in what ways have we allowed the competing words of evil men to seep into our minds and our thoughts, and sometimes even worse, into our hearts? In what ways do we allow the world to twist God's good word into something it was never meant to mean? Are we desiring after the perverted speech of evil men over-desiring God's word? Or let me ask us this in a different way. How many hours, if you were to tabulate it together, do we spend listening to worldly music, TV, radio, even supposedly conservative ones, as opposed to spending time consuming God's word in his written word, through sermons, and through godly music? When we're listening to the world's bombardment of ideologies, again, liberal or conservative, are we actively discerning it, testing it against scripture, like we were talking about being Berean Christians? Are we running to the Bible after we've listened to these things? Verse 13 says this, these are men who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the way of Darkness. They're like cockroaches moving in the dark, hiding, being afraid of the light. And then there's this buildup. It says, rejoice. These men rejoice in doing evil and delight in perverse evil. You see how earlier when we desire God's word, it changes who we are and it makes us rejoice. It makes us happy in knowing truth. And then when we go after these men who are lying, 
it actually leads us to rejoice in evil and revel in that. There's a change that happens whether we desire God's word or we desire something else. And God says, I'll guard you from it. I'll deliver you from it. I'll make sure you stick to the path of righteousness if only you desire after me by reading my word. And I believe this actually has eternal ramifications. It has eternal ramifications. Look with me at verse 21. It says, the upright will inherit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. So this is my last sub point for today. The way of the righteous leads to salvation. The way of the righteous leads to salvation. Salvation is the destination. It's our treasure island. It's the, 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 what we're seeking after, okay? So the way of the righteous will lead to the destination of salvation. So you might be wondering why I'm getting that from verse 21. It says land, right? There's a lot to say here. I don't have time to talk about it. And if you would like to, if you have questions after I say this, you want to meet up with me, I'm more than happy to talk after the service, go to coffee with you. But in the, New, in the Old Testament, land and inheritance is often equated with salvation in the New Testament. Okay, so land and inheritance in the Old is often equated with salvation in the New. So whenever the Old Testament references land, or not whenever, Oftentimes, when the Old Testament references land and inheritance, it's equated with salvation if it's talking about that in the New Testament. So keep, keep your fingers where we're at and turn with me over to Proverbs 8, 16 through 21. Now, Proverbs 8, 16, 21, wisdom is personified here, right? And so personification, basically, wisdom is acting as a person and wisdom is speaking words as if wisdom is a person. And we know... And J.D. said this last week that, wis that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the person. And so the personified wisdom here tells us this. It says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of, the right of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Wisdom is the one who walks in righteousness and grants the inheritance to those who love her, right? And wisdom in the Old Testament is equated with Jesus in the New Testament. So Jesus says, desire me, seek after me, and I will give you salvation. I will give you salvation. You see the beautiful logic there? Desire God's word and you will know God. Specifically, you will know the fullest revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And when you know him, you will love him who is the wisdom of God. And when you put your faith in his righteousness, you will walk in the path of the righteous and God will give you an inheritance. Again, Solomon is talking about, uh, the wisdom Solomon is talking about and the wisdom that God speaks of is what we preach from in this pulpit every single Sunday. It is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1, 20 through 25, Paul says this, where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We preach Christ crucified. He who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we come back to the two questions that we started with this morning. How is wisdom displayed in Proverbs 2? It's displayed by needing to first desire wisdom. And you desire wisdom by seeking after his word. God's wisdom then guards us. And, and through that guarding, we choose to follow the path of God because we understand wisdom. We know Jesus. It changes who we are. So how does this point to the one who is wisdom? Once you obtain wisdom, it will give you a knowledge of the one who is wisdom, Jesus. It will lead you to know him, to love him, to walk in his path. It leads you to faith and to repentance. There's a story I read recently. Uh, it's a real account. And uh, it's this man who was trying to help this woman. And she was a prostitute and a drug addict. And she, she was from a well-to-do family. And at a very young age, she got addicted to heroin. And that just led her to a tragic life. And through tears, she's begging this man. She's asking him to help her. So he does. He pays for a rehab program. And to make it even easier, he actually rents a car to drive to her, her drug house. So all she needed to do was get out of the house, open the door, and sit into the car. And her entire life was ahead of her. She chose to stay in the drug house. Friends, there are only two paths. You can't go down both roads. They're on opposite directions. You have to go down one or the other. There's no in-between. One path is going after this world. Like a drug, it entices us. It drags us down. It brings death and destruction. Verse 18 says it this way. Her, the forbidden woman, her house sinks down to death. Her path leads to the departed. No one who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. It leads to death. The second path is Jesus Christ. He's done it all. All you need to do is trust in him. Turn away from your sins and you will, you will have salvation. He's done it. He's died on the cross for you. Where you place your desire, what you seek will lead down one of these two paths. If you desire after the world, it's pleasure, it's alluring promises, it's seductive lies, it will lead to death and destruction, the wrath of God. On the other hand, if you desire God, if you turn to his word for wisdom and for instruction, if you seek after Jesus by forsaking the path of evil, submitting yourself to him as your Lord, you will find forgiveness. So let me get practical here. You asked me today, what, what do you need to do? What, what do you need to do to go down the right path? If you're not a believer, if you're not someone who has turned away from your sins, if you're not someone who has trusted in Jesus, confess your sins to Jesus. Confess your sins to him. And then come to one of us here at Echo Church. Anyone here would be more than happy to sit down with you, to have coffee with you, to teach you what it looks like to follow Jesus day by day. If you're, you are a follower of Jesus, know that he desires you to know his word, to desire it, to, to 
to be under it, to, to know it, be attentive, be awake, be alert as you read it, as you seek it, like you're seeking treasure in it. Within these pages contain a wealth of treasure beyond gold, beyond silver, beyond anything else, because it is how you know God. Wrestle with difficult texts, bathe in lovely promises, store it up in your heart, then seek to practice it. Let it change you. Have it consume you so that you love others and walk in his ways. What you desire determines where you will end up. Destruction and death lies down one path, eternal life on the other. Which one will we choose? Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that you just help us to hear your word that I just feebly tried to exposit. I feebly tried to explain, Lord, I pray that you'll help us. You'll give us that desire. It's you who is sovereign, you who changes hearts, you who cause us to love you, to want you, to desire you in your word. Give us that desire, Lord. I, I pray, I ask, I plead that we will want your word more than water, more than gold, more than treasure, that we'll see it as the only source of true sustenance for us because it reveals who you are, who Jesus is. Thank you, Lord, that we're able to gather today and be able to proclaim your word.